What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? And welcome once again to yet another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. I'm your host, Gabriel Wilkins, returning to you once again beside my running mate and co-host Josh Hicks to talk on all things hoops related across the association. It's seven out of eight matchups taking place throughout round one of the NBA playoffs are still in action as the Sixers, as we are recording this, currently stand is the only team to punch their ticket into the conference semifinal round thus far. What's been up with you, Josh? Not much, man. Not much as always enjoying this playoff basketball. This is one of the best. This was this is for sure one of the best first round matchups so far uh, in a very long time that I've really enjoyed and actually want to watch every game. So uh, this is definitely, you know, I'm just enjoying the experience, enjoying the fun. And I think I know which matchup you talk about is we definitely going to highlight that matchup near the tail end of the show, which in this week's installment of Open Run, me and Josh will take out the time to highlight and share our thoughts on the sudden rise and flagrant two fouls in the NBA playoffs, including all of the hot topics to make headlines throughout the first week of the postseason and much more. But before we get into the following matters at hand, Let's take out some time to give some kudos to a pair of players who made some history of their own since our previous recording last week in our Hoops shout-out segment. Special Hoops shout-out go out to Chicago's own and L.A. Lakers center Anthony Davis as the eight-time All-Star became only the fourth player since 1973 to drop 65-plus points, 35-plus rebounds, to go with 15-plus blocks through his first three playoff games this postseason, joining Hall of Fame centers Tim Duncan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Hakeem Olajuwon in the following pantheon is Davis and the Lakers currently hold a 2-1 series lead in their first round tilt against the Memphis Grizzlies going into game four as we're recording at the top of this week. In addition to another star who goes by the name of Anthony, and that is Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who recently recorded the fifth 30-point game of his postseason career to date, surpassing the late great Kobe Bryant for the second most by players 21 years old or younger as the product out of Georgia dropped the game high 34 points with five coming late in overtime to help the Wolves stave off elimination and a sweep at the hands of the Denver Nuggets this past weekend in game four. So after getting all of the intro and salutes out the way, Josh, what are some things across basketball or the playoffs specifically that have impressed you the most over the last week? Of course, you highlighted one of them in Anthony Edwards, man. That Ant-Man is the real deal. You know, we saw him do, you know, the similar things last uh, last postseason, although they didn't go very far. Um, he's always a special talent that made sure he lit up the, lit up the room and lit up the game when you saw him on TV. You never missed, missed a bad outing out of him. So um it's always great to see anthony edwards doing his thing but the big one for me i gotta go darian fox man darian fox has emerged as the one of the next superstars in this league he is literally solidifying his superstar status in this series and to be able to come back from decent game game three to play the way that he did sunday dropping 35 plus and at, you know, at and at the Chase Arena, man, that the that's something special. Going against Steph Curry on top of that, you know, um, 
that's a championship winning team that knows how to, you know, win on both ends of the floor. And they got elite talent on both ends of the floor. And De'Aaron Fox is just letting them know that, like, you know, your reign might be over, but I guess what? I'll pick up the mantle for you. And he, he made sure that, you know, he's, he's letting the league know on notice, like, I'm one of the next young guys on the rise, man. You can't forget about me. And it's just, he's just another testament to what this Kings team really is and how special of a turnaround uh, they've had this year. But De'Aaron Fox, man, he's the real deal. He's, he's what John Wall should have been. And it, it's a special sight to see. So I, not only was I watching the emergence of a superstar, but also was sitting sitting in my career watching that game like, man, John Wall must be feeling, he has to feel some type of way now. Just sitting there knowing that he, knowing that this could have been him, but it's not. I get what you're saying, but you know, in, in respect to Wall, he had his moment in 16, 17. He just couldn't True. stay healthy. He True. just couldn't stay healthy, and he never refined or polished his three-point shot the way that De'Aaron Fox has, who's currently mm-hmm. shooting 34% from three-point land in these playoffs through the first four games for the Kings, averaging nearly 32 points per game to go alongside of seven dimes and six boards. And it's not a soul that they can really put in front of him right now outside of a big body and Draymond Green, who, in my opinion, did a hell of a job on him in the second half of yesterday's game four to close out the weekend in which the Warriors escaped with a one-point win. But De'Aaron Fox, I'm glad that he's getting his flowers and praise from guys like you and and across the country because I believe, as much as I know we know the game and we've watched his growth and evolution as a player from the beginning, a lot of people ain't really seen this dude play in the last several years since his freshman year at Kentucky with Malik Monk. So I think they kind of in awe and fascinated, but he, he deserves his just due for damn sure. And is a big reason why Sacramento, I think, is not only um, here to stay, but they've arrived in, in, in the now and they're giving Golden State the reigning champions a run for their money. But a guy that I think deserves some credit and some appreciation for the job that he's done is an executive, an executive who was a former agent, an executive who is not only was a former agent, but represented LeBron James for many years prior to him deciding to go join forces with his best friend, Rich Paul. And that's Leon Rose of the New York Knicks. Yeah. I think the time has come for us to consider him as a strong candidate for executive of the year. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they vote on it. I don't think he would be my pick, but I definitely think he deserves some consideration. I'm going to tell you why. There were so many people this summer who wanted the Knicks to do the same old stuff that the Knicks always do. And that's chase a superstar and give up everything and infinity to get them. That superstar was Donovan Mitchell. And I understood it. He had connections to the New York area, was born and raised around there. His father worked with the New York Mets. Whole nine. But in order for him to get Donovan Mitchell, it would have cost them guys like Quinn Grimes, mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, who was in the conversation for the Sixth Man of the Year Award. He, said, he stood pat and said, I'm going to trust my young guys and I'm going to help them grow and develop with the resource that we have in front of them. Resign Mitchell Robinson, who's been a defensive stalwart 
for that Knicks roster and been a vital difference maker. And in the lineup, without him, I don't know how they get past Cleveland because he's owning the rebounds right now. He's owning the battle on the boards between him, Evan Mobley, and Jerry Allen by his damn self. He had double digits in the rebound department. He had more rebounds in game four than Evan Mobley and Jared Allen combined. Hmm. And then you add the evolution of R.J. Barrett, who's come alive over the last couple of games is the series between Cleveland and New York shifted to MSG, putting up big numbers. Leon Rose stood pat with his team. And then, might I add, went out at the trade deadline and got Josh Hart. Yep. Who has been a huge addition to this Knicks team. A guy that has chemistry playing besides Jalen Brunson. A guy who Leon Rose decided to take a gamble on and say, hey, I'm going to give you this big contract, sir. You took Dallas to the promised land. I know what you could do. I trust you. Everybody thought he was a fool for doing that. Mm-hmm. He's looking like the smartest man in the room. And the one thing I got to give him credit for is unlike GMs of the past, such as Phil Jackson and countless others, Leon built it the right way. Organically, he's built it the right way. And with the current state of the league, as we know it, you only one disgruntled star away from a championship. Just be patient with Leon Rose, New York. Be patient with him. You got a good GM that's doing the right thing, and he's building a winner there. And in due time, I think they will continue to ascend in the Eastern Conference. This is only just the beginning. No, that's a very good point, man. Jalen Brunson, you know, he's 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 a special dude. He's a special dude, and he's a real leader and true point guard of this league, and he's showing his leadership on and off the court with this New York team. And you talk about the executive in that front office. Obviously, Leon Rose deserves a lot of credit, but you got to give credit to his right-hand man, too. Shout out to World Wide West. Everywhere we go, we leave a worldwide mess. Like, come on now. <laughs> West, World Wide West is known for stuff like this. He's known for turning things around. Uh, not in not just in business, but now obviously in in league like this, and you know it's a special thing to witness. Is because at the end of the day, obviously we're from Chicago. We're big about our Bulls. Um, you know when it comes to the Bulls, we don't want the Knicks to succeed. However, um, when it's playoffs at, at MSG is a whole nother level, man, and a whole nother vibe that quite frankly is long overdue that the league deserves to have, and. For it to happen through the leadership of an Illinois guy and, you know, Leon Rose and World Wide West and those guys, you know, it's a very, it's a very special moment in history to witness. And Knicks fans should be proud. They definitely should be proud. Absolutely. And then, you know, I got to show some love to Devin Booker as well. You yeah. know, averaging a career best, nearly 35 points a night in the playoffs through four games. He's shooting 57% from the field almost 44% from three-point land. And he scored 30 or more in all of Phoenix victories against the Clippers thus far through the opening round to go alongside of an incredible defensive effort, which I think is in large part to KD's addition and Mm -hmm. him being able to, you know, breathe a little bit now that he got another killer beside him. But I've been impressed with him and his growth. And right now he's looking like the best player on the playoff scene. 
among the stars that thus far, and you know, you hate to see that the Clippers are out there without Kawhi and Paul George, you know, they kind of a wounded up, but they've gave a valiant effort. Guys like Russell Westbrook and Norm Powell have stepped up to the challenge, but nevertheless, Devin Booker, man, is just doing his thing and he's hitting some shots right now to where it's like, you can't do nothing as a defender, but just shake his hand. Yeah. Devin Booker, on top of the fact that, you know, like, like you just mentioned, the addition of KD makes everything easier for you. But at the same time, you're talking about a dude that's trying to revive himself from a 29th, was it 2021 NBA Finals appearance? And they lost to the Bucks in six games? You know, that's someone that's trying to take, you know, with Chris Paul on your side, you're trying to get revenge. You're trying to get back to the promised land. And with the fact that, Devin Booker is now in a winning environment. They've shifted the culture. They show they know what it takes to win now, and they have that veteran leadership that can get them there. Uh, you emerge as a star. You emerge and thrive in those type of environments with that growth. And it's, it's not so that just to me is a testament to what James Jones has done in that front office, bringing in the right guys to help you know, shift this thing around and, and trusting Monty Williams to be the leader of this, of this, uh, of this team. So that way guys like Devin Booker can see what it means to be a true professional every day, what it means to take your game to the next level and do it in such a way where, like you said, he's not just scoring and hitting every bucket. He's also built up his efficiency, which is something that people criticize Devin Booker for anyways. So it's um it's it's a special thing to see with him as well, man. And I, you already know me. I want to, I, I I got Phoenix going to the finals, so he's making me look real good right now. I but, think a lot uh, of people do. <laughs> yeah, he's making me feel real good right now. But at the end of the day, the curse breaker of Devin Booker is live and well and doing well in the playoffs, and it's a special sight to see. Oh, for sure, and. The one thing I'm interested in seeing moving forward with the Suns team is how Monty Williams, the head coach, manages their minutes, being Booker and KD. They played a lot of minutes in this series, upwards of like 40-plus each and every game. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is due to them being so top-heavy and thin on the bench. It remains to be seen how far they could go, but when you, you see the talent that they have on paper within their starting five, you can't help but go with them right now, especially when you consider how much injuries have really hit these teams across the board in the NBA playoffs, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But before we get into that, I want to talk with you about a lot of stuff that unfolded this past weekend, and that's the rise in these flagrant two fouls thus far yeah. throughout round one of the playoffs. Like Draymond Green getting ejected for a flagrant two foul last Monday after stumping on King Center, DeMontis Sabonis. And that resulted in a one-game suspension for him as he missed game three of a Warriors win out in Golden State. You had James Harden, who became the second high-profile player to get sent to the showers after he hit next wing Royce O'Neal in the groin with his offhand dribbling in game three for the Sixers. Yet, earlier in that same game, Joel Embiid was assessed a flagrant one, which doesn't warrant ejection after kicking net center Nick Claxton from the ground as he tried to step over him in a taunting-like fashion. Then, last but not least, you had Dylan Brooks of the Memphis Grizzlies 
who was granted a flagrant two and an ejection for hitting LeBron James in the groin during their bout against the Lakers in game three. Yet he wasn't suspended for his actions in the manner that Green was at the top part of last week. It's, on, it's been three flagrant two fouls called throughout the first weekend of the playoffs thus far. To put that in perspective for you, it was only 14 flagrant two foul calls throughout the entire regular season alone. What's your thoughts on Draymond getting suspended? Do you believe it was warranted? I'm glad you brought this up because I got a lot to say. I'm sure you do. Oh, <laughs> man. Um, No, I do not think it was warranted for a suspension. You can call it a flagrant, flagrant two for an ejection. That's fine. But suspension, no. And the league messed this up because now that you put a precedent on what can equate to a suspension, especially when history of a player is involved, players like Dylan Brooks should have got suspended too. I'm just going to keep it real because Dylan Brooks is building a profile across the league, whether it's whether he, you can say he's building up or not, that's your choice. He is contributing to this quote-unquote villain profile that is being labeled to him to where referees have to pay attention to his actions and movements in games. And because of that behavior, which, by the way, has led up to 16 technical fouls in the regular season, um, you're telling me that something that James Harden did got ejected for? Okay, I guess you could say he didn't get suspended for that, which he shouldn't have. But he doesn't have the profile of being uh, a certain type of aggressor or player like Dylan Brooks is. And when you put Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green in some of the same categories, which the league has admittedly done throughout this season for sure, there's no way you can't sit here and set a president for Draymond Green because, oh, part of it's because of his history and not include Dylan Brooks in that category. That's just that's un, the, the, the politics and refereeing, the politics and setting presidents and agendas against certain players in the league has gone out of control. I don't believe any player should have got suspended. This is the playoffs. It's meant to be physical. This is meant to have some rough moments. And it's meant to it's meant to have all that stuff. You're fighting for postseason action and championships. That's a given. Plus, we've seen so much worse in the previous eras of basketball. So this is nothing. But you can't baby the league and then enforce certain things or certain, uh, you know, boundaries or, uh, guide, or certain boundaries per se, especially when it comes to players that have more of a reputation of a more aggressive behavior that kind of has negative connotations. So if you're gonna call the playing field even, make it even. You want to call a spade, call a spade a spade. Draymond Green got suspended. Okay, cool. You set the president. Dylan Brooks should have got suspended. And I'm going to be even more honest with you. Joel Embiid should have got a flagrant too as well. When you talk about him kicking, the, kicking Nick Claxton from the floor up, the way that he was kicking, the way that, you know, he, he his president took place, he should have got suspended. He should have got a flagrant too for that as well because it wasn't warranted. But yet, he didn't get that. They kept him in the game. They didn't throw him out. 
the it, it the politics of this president that the league is trying to set with these flagrant runs, flagrant flagrant ones, flagrant twos, etc. It's inconsistent and therefore incompatible when it comes to certain elements of the of the playoffs and in, in, in the in these moments like this. So something has to change. I don't like the fact that Draymond got suspended. I don't like the fact that Dylan Brooks didn't get suspended. So you can't set a president and not continue to keep and be inconsistent with that president because you got certain agendas toward one player versus someone else. So that, that that's just me, you know, obviously, but it's out of control, man. Something got to change. These policies got to change and, they, and Adam Silver got to do something about that. I'm going to say this on it, Josh. I do agree that things have to change. But in the league's defense, and I hate to defend the league, but it's just the truth. And it is what it is when I say this. Draymond's reputation cost him a game. And it's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. If it was me out there as an official, as much as I would have gave him a flagrant two, I don't believe that he warranted a suspension at all. I don't. I also don't believe that James Harden warranted getting ejected in game three against Brooklyn for the, the bow that he threw to Royce O'Neal's groin. Mm -hmm. And I tell you why. I've seen him use that offhand many times to try and shield a defender. Yeah. He does that all the time. He accidentally did that. And I'm not just going to say that because his reputation, I don't think he was really intending to hit Royce O'Neal in the groin. And if you're going to eject him for that, then you sure as hell need to eject Joel Embiid, a player that I love watching to see play. You know what I'm saying? But And even I paid a full price of admission to see Joel Embiid play. But he should have been ejected mm -hmm. over, over James that night. And I believe he would have if that kick hit went like a little bit of an inch to the left. He, he, he would have been ejected, but it's, it's, it's an unfair thing. As far as with Dylan Brooks, I feel like, yeah, you can make a case for him being suspended. If you're going to suspend Draymond, yeah, you should suspend Dylan Brooks, but he's an infant when it comes to his reputation compared to Draymond. It's slowly but surely transforming, and I think he will be on that radar in the future years to come, but that's why he was able to get away with it. Because now all of a sudden, Dylan Brooks wants to act like, you know, he's a WWE superstar. Mm -hmm. and so now he's realizing that these are the consequences that come with it. All eyes are on you. And you got to be able to take it just as much as you could dish it. And the way I see it, I mean, if it was me, though, I, I wouldn't have suspended Draymond. I don't, I don't think these deserve any suspensions. And if you're going to, like, if we think the game is, physical right now for those who didn't get a chance to watch basketball before space and pace became a cool thing to do mm -hmm. man it was much more physical then it was much more physical but Draymond made a point that I do agree with where he said on his podcast I never knew you could be suspended for a flagrant two that happened seven years ago and I also didn't know you could get suspended for interacting with a crowd that's flipping you double birds and yelling your name and chants that you suck. 
And I think he was sharing his thoughts, not only on the suspension, of course, in game three, but when he said the flagrant two foul that happened seven years ago, he was talking about the infamous groin kick that he had on Steven Adams in the 2016 Western Conference Finals in which he wasn't suspended for at the time. Mm-hmm. And he dodged a bullet with that. I think that's what he was speaking on. So I, I, I get what he's saying. Maybe they were trying to send a message for not doing this earlier. But then again, in that same playoff run in which the Warriors fell short after losing to the Cavaliers who came back in three-to-one fashion against them, remember, he got suspended in game five because he had accumulated too many points as far as flagrant fouls go. So, I mean, it, it's it's a slippery slope. I, I think his reputation, though, did him in. It's unfortunate. If Dylan Brooks had a little bit more years in the league, you know, up with Draymond and everybody knew that he was doing this repeatedly, he would get it. But sooner or later, it's coming for him because he's been picking and choosing his battles left and right. And besides, didn't he accumulate like over 10 plus texts? And he had to miss a game this season as a result of that. He got into it with Donovan Mitchell after like clotheslining him on some dirty stuff. And Donovan was ready to fight him. Yeah, uh, that's what that's why I'm like, I understand what you're saying. He's, he's he, you know, he's just now trying to take on this bad boy reputation. Right. But I'm all sitting like, man, screw that. Because if it's because people were taking on that 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 mantle for the long for you know in the infant stages and got the same thing. Like when even with Draymond. Like, yeah, he built this over time. But when the Warriors were really starting to win, he's always been this player. Of course. That uh, that took on that aggressive. The league took notice and said, I bet we're going to make an example out of you. It, I, I don't view that as any different as someone as a Dylan Brooks, whom even though he may not have a playoff reput- reputation of doing that, you pay attention to his demeanor and his behavior, not just this season, but even last season. Of, of course. Yeah. Building up. That's a rep to me. That's enough sample size right there to be like, all right, look here, man. You you cutting it real close to where you should have been suspended too, like and you and especially since in that play when he did get ejected, I'm not going to necessarily say that he did that on purpose, but guys, darn, this sure look good. It looked good enough to be caused that to be part of that, so. I don't, I don't know, man. I just feel like if you know there is a certain behavior that is attached to certain stars or certain players in a playoff setting that you know could be exploited in that way, you're going to be on, you should be happy. You should, obviously, you should be on them more than compared to others, but the history should be enough to where one player gets suspended and other one has that puts that practices similar tactics or similar behaviors. No matter how many times they've done it in the playoffs or not, that's the same. That's the same type of penalty you should charge that person because you're setting a precedence. No, you're I setting agree with you standard, saying. and that standard has been inconsistent, which we know for the longest has been a problem within the league. There's never been a consistent standard in not in any of the refing, especially within the past decade. So, you know that that's my thing, and I I, I agree with you. But a standard's a standard. If you're going to use someone to make a standard in the president's, stick to that standard. Don't adjust it to somebody else because, oh, they may not have as bad of a representation, reputation to do it, even though they almost as bad. It don't matter. And, and, and don't give 
expect and, and don't charge other people for certain things with that quite frankly you wouldn't charge anybody else especially my stars make the standard the standard be consistent through all if you can't be consistent you probably shouldn't have the standard and that's well said and you know when we talk about joel Embiid and what he did like i said and i, I said again if it was a, a, a inch or two closer yeah he's definitely getting ejected but in his defense not trying to say that i commend anybody do that or i'm suggesting it but if a dude tried to step over me while i was down i probably would feel away too yeah yeah you know and i, and I, I could kind of get why he did that because him and claxton have had their fair share of battles throughout the season and if you watch a lot of sixers and nets games Throughout this season, you would know what I'm talking about, so I can get how that happened. But, yeah, like, you, you you, do have to be fair across the board. And I think Dylan, slowly but surely, is is he, he's pushing the line. Yeah. That's what I say. He's yeah. damn sure pushing the line. Like, he's testing it. He do that again, he can forget about it. He's definitely getting suspended. But I want to ask you, since we're on this topic, you know, we talk about officiating and how it's – kind of been like out of control as far as the standard goes with how to assess you know a flagrant two or not do you believe that the new age referee has lost control of the game and if not then who is to blame for it are the players to blame for it what's your thoughts on that i think the new referees in a lot of ways do they have lost some of the game um because they're new, they're still trying to figure things out. Um, they're still trying to adapt. And let's be and let's be completely honest as well. Is I'm not saying this to be to start a gender war. I'm really not trying to say that. But this is one of the first years within this decade in this new era in this new era of refereeing where you have women professional referees coaching, or, or I mean, or refing playoff games in the NBA, which is different from previous eras. I do think that does have some type of a precedence. And, and it does bring some type of, uh, you know, I don't want to say delay or disadvantage as far as the growth of what of the consistency in the play calling, but they're learning that too. Because you can co completely call this game different than you would maybe in a WNBA game. This, this is different rules and different ways of things. So I do think some of that has to be considered as well. And that's not, but that's not, everything's not on the, on the refs per se. It's also the league too. The league works with the refs to make these rules. The, the league works with the refs to make sure that they are consistently applying the rules they put together in the rule book. And let's be serious. The league needs to do a better job of holding the refs accountable. They do, because this was a this was a question mark even throughout the regular season. Players are constantly getting teed up quick. They are constantly not able to have the leverage that older refs and older eras have. It's all, and, and refs are making the games about themselves. They're inserting themselves in games when they shouldn't. And they're not being held accountable for that, but yet the players have to. I think that has to go both ways and the league has to do a better job of that. So no, it's not all on the refs. There is a difference in eras of basketball 
and in eras of refereeing. So I do believe the refs do play a role, especially within this new era of, 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 of professional refereeing. However, this is the league's fault too, because they help control all of this. They help aid all of this. They help put all this together. And the way they're going about it is not congruent with previous eras from a consistency perspective and a leverage perspective that can actually be beneficial to the players. So I think it's both. I'm going to say this. I, I think the new age ref has lost control of the game. They've lost control of the game in the sense that when a game becomes chippy, they don't know how to reel it in without including themselves into it. Mm-hmm. And all it takes is a word or two. But nowadays, you can't have any words with an official. Yeah. And let me describe what I mean by that for those who don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that a player is in the right for bitching about foul calls every chance they get. No. But if a player is trying to ask you or assess how a game is being called, they're only doing that so they can determine how to go about reacting themselves to the action on the floor. Some fans who have never played basketball don't get that. Mm -hmm. If you've ever played basketball before, I don't give a damn what level it's on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's getting to a point where you can't even have simple conversations with them anymore. I think players are to blame in some respects. Like you do have some players, and I'll name those players, such as Luka Doncic, who does push the line. Yep. and expects to get every foul call or wants to complain with an official up and down the court every chance he gets, that's different. But when I can't have a conversation with you, it's a problem. And you say that you want players to play and you putting in mandates for players to play at least 65 games or more in order to be able to receive all NBA honors or the MVP trophy, all, all defense, et cetera. You want them to play, but then what's your standard, as you alluded to earlier, is to how you going to call these games. Mm -hmm. What is your standard? Because I don't know, and I would love to know, personally. I really would, because a lot of these flagrant twos, in my opinion, are not flagrant twos. Like what James Harden did, that could have easily changed that whole series mm -hmm. if the Nets find a way to close out game three. That could have easily changed the series. And then it's like, what, what, what's a flagrant two? Like, that's what that game left me wondering. What is a flagrant two? Because when I saw what Joel did to Nick Claxton, that's a flagrant two in my book. Mm -hmm. When I see what James is doing, I'm like, if you want to give it a flagrant one, give it a flagrant one. But in my opinion, that's just an offensive foul. Go the yep. other way. Yep. Go the other way. You know, it's I don't know how they're calling these games. And they say when it comes to the flagrants that they allow the referees leeway on how to call that. And the replay center only provides so much input. Is that's a personal call? You know, you bring up the women referees. I don't have a problem with the women referees. Not saying that you do, 
But, right, right. But, 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 but I don't think it's just solely that. It's just a lot of new officials in the game. Over the yeah. last five years, I've been saying it repeatedly. The NBA has an officiating problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the OGs like Dick Bavetta, Joey Crawford. Yeah. Um, Hugh Hollins, rest in peace. All them guys, like, they gone. Yep. They are gone. And, and you can tell when you watch this product, man, and it's something that they got to do in these referee academies to shore that up because it's a lot of lines getting crossed. And if they're not getting crossed, they appear to be blurry between player and referee. No, that's a very good point. And the biggest thing regarding what's a flagrant two or what's a flagrant one has been so inconsistent. And you talk about how they're able to make it a personal matter. That's the problem. Because when you get to evaluate a call, it gets personal with you. You can make it as personal as you want. And that's the flaw, because when you make it too personal, you tend to do tend to make calls more serious than what they is. And the reality of it is, when you talk about play, you know, playing the game, you you have to be able to, as an official, tell the difference between something being accidental and something that's actually being forced. Yeah, because the game is literally so physical that there's going to be a lot of accidents in games. Like that's just that's just how it is. You, there's some stuff you cannot avoid. But and and the James Harden situation is a prime example. You can't avoid that. If a player's gonna be that close to you and you need to get space, you're gonna want to push the guy off. If you push him off and oh my bad, it hits you in your groin because you're in a defensive stance and you're that low, and I'm trying to get in a low stance offensively, that's basketball one-on-one. You teach you learn that as a kid. Sure do. So if you're gonna call things that bad from that perspective. You're not only questioning what's worthy of the what's worthy of a call, but what's worthy of how you're supposed to play the game. How are you supposed to be able to be able to have an offensive advantage or defensive advantage? How are you able to utilize those skill sets when, quite frankly, you're taking that opportunity away from you? So that that's something that that has to go along with this. It's not just like you mentioned, uh, differentiating between flagrant ones and flagrant twos. It's a matter of how physical are you going to actually let this game be? Because if you're that physical, guess what? You're going to have accidents. And And none of them is warranted as flagrant ones. And anything goes. Anything goes. And that's how the game get mucked up. And that's how these games get ugly. And that's something that the average fan don't understand. And, you know, and one thing that these referees have to work on, and I'm going to end it here before we move on to the next topic. One thing these refs got to work on is not taking shit so personal. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand that being a referee is a heated job. It's going to come with a lot of, you know, complaining on the player side, even on the coach's side. But you got to know how to deal with it. And you got to know how to manage personalities. Yeah. I don't see too many refs that know how to do that well. You can't be a ref in today's day and time and not know how to manage personalities. I don't really care what time it is. You mm-hmm. dealing with multiple people on both sides, head coaches, assistant coaches, players on the bench, players on the floor, etc. People at the scores table. You got to know how to manage personality. And that's why I think that so many of these referees are losing control of the game because they don't know how to manage personalities and they don't know how to manage the game. 
And so half the time a player is only asking you how you calling it to see how you managing it. And to go from there. Now, if they keep complaining and you got to teach me, okay, I get it. But if not, you know, what's the point? What's the point? That's that's my whole thing on that. But I'll move on from that because I want to talk about something that's been really putting a damper on these playoffs as of late, and that's injuries. Mm-hmm. They continue to impact the NBA playoffs right now. You got Joel Embiid, Sixers All-Star Center, who was diagnosed with a right knee sprain after helping Philadelphia climb back against Brooklyn to take game three and was declared out for game four. Yet despite sweeping the nets without their top man, Sixers head coach Doc Rivers said it's a 50% at best chance that the back-to-back scoring champ will be ready to go by the start of the conference semis against the winner of Boston Atlanta, whom they will face in the Eastern Conference and is likely to tip off this weekend with the Celtics up 3-1 to one as we are recording this right now. You got Kawhi Leonard, who was said to sprain his right knee in game one, played through it in game two, only to be ruled out shortly after as a result of the injury prior to game three. As the two-time champ has missed the last two games in their series up against the Phoenix Suns. And both of those games have resulted in losses for the Clippers as they now find themselves going into a must-win scenario in game five. Not only without Leonard, whose status is unknown, but Paul George, who's also out nursing a sprained right knee of his own and has not played at all this postseason. You had Giannis dealing with a back injury who missed games two and three. Bucks find themselves currently down two games, the one as it is recording, although Giannis has returned to action for the first time since game one where he took that tumble and suffered the back injury and had to depart 11 minutes into the contest. And in that same series, you just recently had heat guard Victor Oladipo go down, tearing his patellar tendon in his left knee and has been officially declared out for the rest of the season by Miami. And then last but not least, the guy that you talked about who stood out to you, De'Aaron Fox, Kings all-star guard, fracturing the tip of his left index finger, which happens to be his shooting hand in game four, according to ESPN's Woj, and is expected to be listed as doubtful going into a pivotal game five out in Sacramento this Wednesday night. Now, we know that injuries have left a significant impact on several series to take shape thus far in the opening round. I would say the series that have been impacted the most by injuries have probably been Clippers and Suns and Heat and Bucks. Do you believe that injuries have come to derail this year's playoffs already? It's a good chance. It's a good chance. Um, and I and I think it's a question mark now to even though you have all this technology, you have all the de- up, updated latest you know, um, health treatments to make sure your body's right. What are, is is it safe to say that this new age science could be one of the main reasons why we have all these injuries? Because when you talk about taking care of your body and doing it different ways, you know, obviously we're, we're modernized, we're more modern with technology and everything. It's a benefit. It is a benefit. But because it's a benefit, it changes the way how your body gets accustomed to certain um, to certain type of uh, application of pressures. Because, and especially when it comes to soft tissue injuries, which 
from what we've seen in a lot of these injuries as of late, it's, it's there's some of that going on. Um, I, I, I feel like if you're dealing with players that could have played through injuries during the regular season to strengthen those areas, to strengthen that body, to strengthen that wounded area, it could play a difference into them pers- persevering and making it through and playing through it in the playoffs. But because of all the new equipment, this new modern technology, this new era of science, you know, and us in a lot of ways, babying our assets, assets maybe, um, with load management and things of that sort. I don't. I, I feel like that could play a role in why we have so many injuries now. I'm not saying that's the case for every player, but it's very rare to find a playoff, especially when you talk about previous decades of basketball leading up to now where you got so many star player injuries taking place in one postseason with so much uncertainty of them not just missing a game but missing series misery multiple games within a series that's unprecedented and that's something that has to be monitored because there's pros and cons to modernizing you know and advancing not just technology, but the science and things that can go with it. And I think this is one of the cons of it. And I think this could be, and load management is probably one of the reasons for me that could also play a role in this as well. When you're not pushing your body and grinding your body in ways that it can, you know, your body's not going to react to the injuries that you could get, especially if they're like the small injuries that you could play through. Um, so I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's tough to talk about that type of topic. Um, but do I think it's going to play a role in the playoffs and the injuries, you know, kind of taking the fun out of playoffs? It's a good chance. It's definitely a good chance. I think it has taken the fun and the enjoyment out of the playoffs. I know it has for me. I remember when I was a freshman in college during the year, the NBA lockout, 2011, 12. Mm-hmm. I saw Derrick Rose and Iman Shumpert tear their ACLs on the same day. Sure did. The fact that they were both Chicagoland area talents, that ticked me off even more. But it let me know about a trend that I was starting to see in the game at that time. And that was guys having not only torn ACLs, but like season-ending injuries on non-contact-related plays. Mm -hmm. And that was scary to see when I don't recall growing up in my childhood and seeing so many guys tearing their ACL. I remember having conversations with people about that and guys that I know who worked out, even though I worked out a lot in my youth and I try to as best I can off and on as I've aged, but like guys will talk about who I used to hoot with about like, you think about all the miles these guys put on their body before they even hit the league. Yeah. You know, I know, you know, being a former who be yourself, Josh, about how the AAU circuit is, the grindhouse that is, sometimes you playing as many as three or four games in a day. Yeah. And in between time, trying to figure out what you're going to eat. Yeah. And if your diet not right, God bless you. Yep. Especially as you trying to ascend and move up to the next level in the hoop profession as I call it, the business. Because once mm-hmm. you get to high school, this shit a business. I don't care what nobody tell you. 
It's a big business. And AAU will show you that. Mm-hmm. Whether you know someone who plays in it or you playing it yourself, it will show you that this is a business. So do I believe that injuries have derailed this year's playoffs already? Yeah, because it's hard not to watch Miami and Milwaukee when Giannis isn't playing. Mm-hmm. And to think that the best team in the league don't have a chance. And you watching the game and you looking at all these defensive breakdowns, whole nine. And you like, man, if Giannis was there, that hole is plugged. If Giannis was there, you know, Chris Middleton don't have to carry this load. Drew Holiday will have some more help. It's different. And as a fan of the game, that, that becomes frustrating. And all summer long, you find yourself when the Larry O'Brien trophy is passed to the winning team at the NBA Finals, you find yourself asking, man, did the best team in the league win it this year? Because I don't think they did. Hmm. Not saying that you shouldn't give credit to the champion because mm-hmm. you have to. It's a bloodbath regardless. And injuries are part of the sport. They happen. But this has been a tough year to watch in the first round of the playoffs and a lot of big matchups, matchups that I know you and I were looking forward to that we talked about with Drew last week, such as Clippers and Suns, to see that matchup get impacted the way it did when Kawhi was out, especially with the way he's playing the first two games, having him play up against Kevin Durant for the first time in two years on a regular basis. Yeah. I was looking forward to that. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a tie series going back to L.A. You know, just give me one of those two guys between Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to go up against Kevin Durant. I'm game. And now it's like, it don't even feel like a series. And I don't want to take any credit away from guys like Terrence Mann, Norm Powell, who've been playing his behind off, mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook, who dropped 30-plus in game four, albeit in a losing effort. It was a hell of a performance. A mm-hmm. turn-back-the-clock performance, might I add, from him. But, man, it's, you, you can't help but watch them and be like, man, if they just had one of their top two guys out there, this series is different. And if you bought both of them out there, it's different. And yeah. I think that these injuries are going to dictate who ends up taking home the Larry O'Brien trophy this year. I do. And it's going to be like, if the Heat were to beat Milwaukee in round one, if they were, man, if you if you the Bucks, man, you got to ask yourself some questions. Like, seriously. You have to ask, not about Giannis, of course, but like, you know, this is a, this would be the second year in a row since they won the championship that they bowed out before the conference final round. Mm-hmm. Is Mike Budenholzer my guy? Yeah, we had the best record in the league, but like, how do we find a way to retool this roster a little bit, make some tweaks here and there in order to ensure that we maximize and every year we have and more with Giannis? It's, it, it's tough. It's tough to see, but as far as like what causes them, I don't know, but I think it's years and years of, of, of work and attrition. Like the AAU circuit back in the 80s is not what it is today. No. I know I, I agree with you, man. And it's it's very unfortunate. I mean, I'm as we record this thing, I got the I got the heat bugs game on right now. Completely different Bucks team right now when you got Giannis on the floor. Completely different. Yep. And 
you know, with Miami being for the most part healthy, I mean, they don't have Tyler Hero. They, they're looking rough out there right now without Tyler Hero on the court. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you, man. It, it does suck. You have to be a I, – I, I will say this. You have to be a real fan of basketball to watch these playoffs without the superstars in it. Oh, you do. And be okay. You do. And you, ha- you really have to be a good ba- – a really big basketball fan. And that's us. We, we can do that. It may not be as fun as it could be, but we'll still watch the game and be like, all right, oh, yeah, let's see how this goes. You know? You got to. Yeah. A lot of fans are not like that. So for them, I'm glad you brought that side, that, that perspective out because for them, they'll look at this and be like, and they, if they watch these games without the superstars, they will view this as a disappointment. They'll view this as a loss this year. Like, I'm, I'm investing my time to watch a bunch of role players play. None of the superstars right. are playing. Nah, I'm good. Like, I'll pass. So, that, and that does play a role at the with the bottom line in general, but because of these injuries, you just go, you're going to see a lot of a, a difference between of people that are just that are fans of the game and actual real hoop heads fans of the game. Like there's levels to this. You're you're going to see which type of level your friends are on. But yeah, it's tough. It's definitely tough. I know. I think it's going to impact who will win the NBA Finals this year. Yeah. Do you think it will? Because like when I look at Suns Clippers, even though I thought Phoenix would make it out that series, I thought that that was going to be a six, seven game series. Mm-hmm. And now it's looking like that series is going to be done by the time we get to the middle of this week. It's looking that way. Yeah, things can change, but that like that's that's rough. Now, as for as far as Milwaukee, I know a lot of people were expressing concern, but I always felt like as long as Giannis came back in time. They still got a chance. And after watching tonight, it seems like they do, especially when you bring up the injuries to not only Harrow, but Victor Oladipo. And yeah. then Jimmy Butler, who's been playing incredible through the first three games of the series, he's nursing a back injury because he wasn't even able to play the entire fourth quarter in game three. But, like, are you concerned that these injuries, bro, are going to dictate who takes home the finals this year? Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. Any any team, that's that's part of the best thing about the playoffs. It's not just about which team can stay hot at the right time, but which team is the most healthiest. That's going to nine times determine who's the champion going to be or who has the best odds of being the champion this year or each and every year. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing what that can look like. That's that's one of the main reasons why, if you want to be real honest with you, why go to state one this past year? That's more than one of the, really one of the main reasons why. Because they took because on their route to the finals last year, they dealt with teams that had major injuries to certain players that affected their play. And the Warriors, as the champions that we know that they are, they took advantage of that. And then it just went, it just happened that when you get to the finals, you're playing against the Boston Celtics, even though you're playing a healthy team, you're playing an inexperienced team. So you knew how to take advantage of that team. But the Warriors' road to get into the finals that year, even when they weren't supposed to get there, was based and predicated on injuries. So, of course, every playoff is going to be that way. And, it's gonna, and injuries are going to impact the game, and especially the playoffs. But, like you said, some injuries you just can't avoid, man. And it's unfortunate that it happens the way that it is. Um, and especially this year, yeah, 
it's going to be a huge determining factor as far as who's going to make it to the who's going to make it to the finals and win the championship. It's funny you say that injuries impacted Golden State's run last year to the championship. Injuries have played a key part in a lot of Golden State runs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think about the way they won their first championship. Round one against New Orleans, Drew Holiday was hurt. Round two against Memphis, Mike Conley was hurt. Mm-hmm. Round three, Western Conference Finals against the Houston Rockets, Pat Bev was out. Then Kyrie and Kevin Love get hurt in the finals. They never faced an opposing point guard or the start of the like the starting opposing point guard. They never faced them. For a full in a full series, the 15 when they won their first championship, that always stuck out with me. And not to discredit anything that Golden State has done, I'm not doing that, but I'm just you know, I'm just adding to your point that you make there. But I want to segue, speaking of injuries, into a team that's been impacted by injuries, a team that we just bought up not too long ago, the LA Clippers. Mm-hmm. They're on the verge of being eliminated in round one for the first time in the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard era by the Phoenix Suns after managing to narrowly avoid the playing round this year. This duo has been together for over four seasons, but despite having 308 regular season games, the two have only played in 107 games together as a duo. Yet overall, they boast an 83 and 35 record in the 118 games that they have played together, if you include the regular season and the playoffs all together. They reached the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history two years ago, yet they fared without the services of Kawhi Leonard due to a partial tear of his ACL, which required surgery that summer. It costed him the entirety of the 22-23 season in which the Clippers would fail to get to the playoffs, losing both playing games at the hands of the Timberwolves and Pelicans. Leonard and George, they have one more guaranteed year on their current contracts at $45.6 million apiece, followed by player options at 24-25, in which the two All-Stars can individually decide whether they aspire to stay in L.A. for $48.7 million apiece or opt out the final year of their contracts to hit the free agency market next summer. We four seasons into the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George era in Los Angeles. People out in SoCal called a duo 2-1-3. What do you make of it thus far? And where do you believe all parties on the Clippers go from here? Should their season come to an unfortunate close in spite of what has been a valiant effort? Like they not trying to die without a fight, but it's not looking good for those guys right now. I think you have them for one more year, but within that year, you might consider training or breaking up the duo if the season doesn't go well. And I say that because, one, if you were to let both or, or completely start over, what you're going to get for them as far as to keeping them afloat, keeping the team afloat right now? You're talking about, I'm pretty sure if you trade them, you're not going to just want draft capital. You're going to want quality players that keep the teams afloat. And the Clippers, even though they can win without Kawhi and Paul George, I don't see them maintaining that for a full 82 game season. I just don't see that happening unless you have someone near that superstar quality level that can keep them afloat and take them and, and, and lead them in that way. But 
I just don't see that happening. So, and, and we got to remind ourselves too, even though the Clippers have been on the rise compared to previous years, they still the Clippers. They, 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 they still number two, bro. Like, it's not like people are not going to go to LA and say, I'm going to the Clippers. No, they're going to be like, no, nah, I'm going to LA, the Tinseltown, where the, where the purple and gold, where, where the purple and gold is at. So they got a long way to go when you talk about recruiting or bringing quality top tier talent to the Clippers like that. And let's be honest, even with Kawhi and Paul George there, name a major free agent that actually look, willingly wanted to go to the Clippers. Not LA, but the Clippers. Very few. I can't even name any right now. So that tells me you can't even get people to come recruit over there. And that's with the superstar talent. If you let them both go, you might as well be in a complete rebuild at this point. And that's okay, but I don't see Steve Ballmer being that guy, especially with Ty Lewis, the head coach, being like, yo, we gonna, we, go, we got to completely scrap this thing and let's start all over. I, I think you got to give them one more year and then if things go bad because of the fact that you they do have that player option and it's not a guarantee that both of them probably will come, will come back. You would just have to, you would you could just you would have to test and see what's in the free what's out there in the trade market come trade deadline. So that way you don't necessarily, if you really want to start over, don't necessarily miss out on getting something in return for that top of tier talent. But the the window's closing real fast, and I do believe they have one more year to try to figure this out. But I don't know if it's gonna last a full year though. I really don't. I find it interesting you bring up Tyron Lue's name, who is the current head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm sure you've heard there's been a lot of rumors through the wire that this might be the end for him. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that Tyron Lue returns as the Clippers head coach next season in the wake of a potential first-round exit after only three seasons in Tinseltown? I do. I do think he comes back. Um, you have to remember that Ty Lue is not only a good quality coach from an X and O's perspective, but also from a player's perspective. Players want to play for this guy. Um, and he knows what it means to win. I will say this, though. If you're going to let Ty Lue go, which there is a case for that. You better, you better hope you can get someone that's equally talented or more to come over to, to the Clippers bench. You better hope you can get somebody that top tier. And right now, there is one coaching candidate that I think could be ideal for that Clippers job. I know who you're saying. I know who you're about to say, because that's, that's who I think it's going to be. But go ahead, continue. No, I think that if you're going to get rid of Ty Lue, you that's better hope I think Nick it's Nurse be. comes through. You better hope Nick Nurse comes through. And like, and I and I can see that happening. I I do I really do think that could happen, but yeah, you got I I'm, I still have confidence in Tyloo. I do. Um, and if and if I'm being real selfish, if they do get rid of him, I would love for him to go to L.A. and be an assistant coach or something. Uh, with with LeBron being on that bench, but you know that's the other year they're there. But anyways, um. Yeah, I still have faith in Tyloo. And I do think they'll run it back, especially if uh, Kawhi and uh, Paul George are still going to be there. 
those are that they love playing for him and they vouch for him a lot. And that goes a long way considering that they have that much power in the front with, with the decisions and in the front office. So I think he comes back, but I ain't gonna lie. Nick Nurse is a pretty nice consolation prize if you let him go. And considering he has won a championship with Kawhi Leonard, you can see keep Kawhi staying healthy. Not a bad option. It's not a bad option. When I think about the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George era in Los Angeles, I think about thus far, at least today, as it is recorded, I think about what could have been. They were never going to be the Lakers. Everybody always knows that Los Angeles is a Laker town. That that was always going to be, no matter what they did, it was always going to be a Laker town. But I think they were making things interesting. And as someone who is from Chicago, and even though this is a different sport, you have two different teams in the city of Chicago for baseball. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of the second team in the second city, in the White Sox. So, like, I can kind of relate to Clippers fans being a little brother, if you will, in the city among teams, which in this case is basketball related. They had reasons to have hope and optimism when these two came. Mm-hmm. I think it started off very well with Doc Rivers, enough where they were able to get a top two seed in the West. We're playing phenomenal basketball in the bubble. But they just couldn't close it mm-hmm. against Denver in the second round. Had a 3-1 lead, and they blew it. Just, 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 couldn't, just couldn't handle business. They let Doc Rivers go. Insert Tyron Lue into the mix. I thought that was a hell of a hire. First season goes extremely well, in spite of some ups and downs throughout the regular season. Still had a top four seed in the West. Doing good. Got a good matchup with Utah. Knocked Utah out. But that's when everything started to go downhill. Even when it looked like they still had a shot because they had advanced to their first Western Conference Finals in franchise history. When Kawhi Leonard tore his ACL, ever since that that moment, it's like everything has went down. Mm-hmm. And I commend Steve Ballmer because he made the team better in Kawhi's absence. Yep. He got them guys like Robert Covington, who I don't think they sought to put into their rotation enough mm-hmm. in the playoffs and throughout the second half of the season, you know, post-All-Star break. They, they got Norm Powell, Terrence Mann, undrafted guy out of Florida State. You know, they, they made it work. That player development has been incredible. Yeah. Luke Kennard, before they trade him to Memphis, you know, like they've done a hell of a job, but they just have not had that core on the floor together enough. And it's an incomplete project. It's an incomplete project. And I don't want to say, because that they didn't win a championship or they haven't won a championship to date, that it's a failure because they did take this franchise to some levels that they haven't been ever. It was some good playoff battles. They had great games, especially Kawhi. Yeah. I might as well be a Clippers legend in spite of his injuries for what he's done for this franchise. But man, when they need you the most, you're just not there. And, and, And that's what stings. That's what stings. That's what stings. So, where do I think they go from here? I think they're going to run it back. 
But I think Tyron Lou, I know if I was Tyron Lou, I think Tyron Lou has to be tired. Mm. People don't know, man. Tyron Lou been through a lot of things with his health dating back to yeah. the days in Cleveland. Yeah. He's had to bury family members. It was some funerals that he couldn't even go to because he had so many issues that he had to manage with his team. This team ain't an easy team to coach. Mm-hmm. And if there's any coach who know what it's like to work in a high-stress environment where it's championship or bust all the time, it's Tyron Lue. Because you know why? He had the pleasure of coaching one of the greatest players ever do it in LeBron James in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. In his second tour of duty with the Cavaliers. And nobody had more pressure on them to win a championship than LeBron when he went back to Cleveland. So I don't know how much he could deal with it. I, I, I think he'll either step down or they will agree to mutually part ways in the mm-hmm. wake of the first round. And, and that's where I believe Nick Nurse comes in. I do believe that Nick Nurse will be the, the, the next head coach of Los Angeles Clippers. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, and Ty Lue, like, it, it ain't an easy job. It's not a knock on anything with him as a coach. Yeah, his rotations as of late have been questionable, but he's one of the best coaches this time of year when it comes to making in-game adjustments, mm-hmm. in-series adjustments. But it's, it's a lot. And when you don't have your two main guys there, and it's so much – so many fluctuating pieces man time and time again that could wear on you that could wear on you and I I think Ty is tired and just looking at him up close in person this year when the Clippers came into Chicago and played the Bulls like just looking at him at one point in that game when they were down by 20 he looked tired Mm -hmm. and that Tyron Lue he he really showed me how coaching is not an easy job I, I, I I don't think he will be back I don't, and I, I think somebody else is going to, have to take the reins, and it's going to, have to be a guy that knows guys on that team. And Nick Nurse does; he's won a championship with Kawhi. Sure Norm Powell, who yeah. with him, was also on that 2019 Raptors squad. Relationships are there. I think yeah. he'd be the guy to get it. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I agree with you, and that's why I said I would not be surprised and would love it if Ty Lue was like, "Yo, LeBron." Let's lean back up in L.A. I'll come back as an assistant. Even though y'all, y- y'all didn't hire me for the head coaching job, I'll come back in this, as an assistant. Because what top coaches do when they know it's hard to get a coaching job, they go be a top assistant at a quality team with quality players. You build that rapport back up. And then when the next coaching gig comes around, you want the top candidates. And I'm not saying Ty Lue's not going to be a top candidate moving forward anyways. But like, but like you mentioned, if he is that tired, if he is that taxing, um, if he ain't going to take a break, he may take a position that may be a little bit lower than the expectation of a head coach. And that's an assistant coach. And why not do it with a guy you won championship with, championships with, and it's right across the hall. And quite frankly, I think Darvin Ham, I think Phil Handy and those guys will love that. They'll bring him in. He could be the J Kid plug. He could be the J Kid plug that 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 that, that helped them win that championship before J Kid went on to Dallas. So uh, I would not be surprised if something like that were to happen. Me personally, I would love for that to happen. But um, but I, but you're right, man. You you can tell something's this this job is taxing and wearing down on Ty Lue. Them bags is getting heavier and heavier under the eyes, boy. 
you can <laughs> see it, man. And you know, it's it, and on top of those other health issues. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. And of course, they're gonna run it back. But if I'm Steve uh, Steve Ballmer or Lawrence Frank, who's in that front who's in that front office, you know, I'm sitting there thinking. How much longer or how much further can we really go with this squad? Because even though it looks like it says championship on it, we have never lived up to the expectation of that because we never – you can argue this is the best roster-wise team the Clippers have had in a very long time. Hell yeah. And yet you're telling me you can't make – you can barely make it – you can't make it past the first round? That's alarming to how – much of a hole this team is without Kawhi and PG. So, yeah, Lawrence Frank's going to have a lot to worry about in his hands, and I think he's going to consider what that could look like, especially since for the Clippers, they're going to have to be creative. They no one's going to no no one's going to go over there willingly. You know, you they're going to have to find ways to make that roster that much creative next year. I don't know how more how much more creative they can make it. Personally, I don't. I think from top to bottom, it's a damn good roster. Mm-hmm. You just need your two stars out there. And they have never had a clean bill of health in the playoffs since their first season together. Yeah. It, which was 2019-2020. Even though Kawhi would sit out some games during the regular season due to low management, and at times it was questionable because there were times during that season and I can replay it like it was yesterday, and it wasn't that long ago, but I can recall saying to myself, man, they act like they the defending world champions. They was resting guys so much, but it was working, and they found a way to stay among the top of the top in the West as people expected them to do. They just didn't get to the conference finals where you could get a chance to see them in the all-LA matchup against the LA Lakers that year who happened to take home the championship, and it was unfortunate, but these teams in the West are coming. Mm-hmm. And they would be a fool not to reconsider or reevaluate their future as a franchise and life without Kawhi and PG. They would be a fool not to. But I think what incentivizes them into keeping those two guys is that you have a new stadium that is set to be built in Inglewood. Yeah. By 24-25, and two it don't. You got to go in there with at least one of them. But if it's so bad to where you can't, then, yeah, you're going to have to sell them off for draft picks if possible. Because think about this, Josh. You talking about how they would want no draft picks. They mortgaged the whole house for Paul George, bro. Yeah, they did. The Oklahoma City Thunder have every single Los Angeles Clippers first-round draft pick up until 2027, I believe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they 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 mortgage the house for this, so they gotta ride it until the wheels fall off. They have to. They may have to find them another point guard. Should Russ not want to resign there, and that remains to be seen in the wake of what transpires over the next 48 hours to a week. But yeah, they they gotta consider it because these young squads in the West they coming. Utah is coming. Yeah. Oklahoma City is coming. And they didn't even have a number two overall pick in Chet Holmgren on the floor 
a minute this season and had a top-notch defense under Mark Dadnall, who was a Coach of the Year nominee. You think they defense going to drop off when Chet come in? I'd highly doubt that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and you know, Dallas is going to seek the retool, whether they re-sign Kyrie or not. So the West is a bloodbath, and they're going to have to do whatever they have to do to stay competitive. And I know Ballmer's the type of owner that doesn't mind spending the win. But, man, it's, it's a sad era, man, because if you're a Clippers fan, you can't help but have questions for every single year. What if we don't blow it when we was up 3-1 against Denver? What if Kawhi don't get hurt when we're going into the Western Conference Finals going up against Phoenix? What if we had uh, Paul George last year against the Pelicans for the eighth and final spot in the playoff and had a chance to face the Suns in round one with, with Paul? Maybe we could have knocked them off and went on a run then. Now this year, you don't have neither one of them and you're on the verge of going home. That's tough. That would be a heck of an ESPN 30 for 30. I think that's what we on the verge of seeing. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it feels like. It, it, it really, it really feels like we watching the West Coast version of the Orlando Magic. I was getting ready the to say that. The only difference is <laughs> Penny and Shaq got to the finals. Yep. Kawhi and Paul George have yet to do that. Yep. During their time together. Completely agree. Yeah, but I, I want to move on and discuss a team that's miles away from Los Angeles on the East Coast side of the country. And that's the New York Knicks. They up 3-1 against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Jalen Brunson's having a phenomenal series. Mitchell Robinson's giving them tremendous energy and effort on the glass as a rim protector. Tom Thibodeau has these guys playing. Even without Quentin Grimes in the starting lineup, who was nursing a shoulder injury, if I'm not mistaken. Josh Hart stepped in. They was able to take full control of the series in games three and four at Madison Square Garden. Haven't seen MSG buzzing like that since Melo was last in the playoffs Mm -hmm. back in 2013 with them, when they was nearly two wins away from reaching the Eastern Conference Finals against the Indiana Pacers. Last time the New York Knicks have made it, or did make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, Josh, it was the turn of the new millennium in 2000. Do you think a conference finals berth for the New York Knicks is on the horizon when you consider everything that we've talked about up until this point with how injuries have impacted series? They would face the winner of the Miami-Milwaukee series should they advance as expected. Horizon, how fast is the sun rising? Because... <laughs> When you talk about the horizon, I'm thinking it's like right there real soon. It looked like it. And, and right now, it really just, I can't, I can't necessarily give into that because I got to see what Miami and Milwaukee does. And at this present moment, it looks like Milwaukee's going to come back and get it straight. So if they come back and get it straight. Nah, Knicks ain't beating the Bucks. I just don't see it happening. But Miami gets there. Yeah. I'll give it to them. I'll give it to them. It just depends on who they're playing. Because you cannot deny the fact that Thibodeau has this team playing great, tremendous basketball, basketball right now. Jalen Brunson is leading the front. Josh Hart is, is the key player that's really ha- kept this team, you know, afloat in a lot of ways, but along with the Quentin Grimes, 
the the uh, eventual rise rising of R.J. Barrett. Emmanuel quickly starting to step up. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson's doing his thing, and um, I can't remember the other big na- na- name big man, but he played some big roles. Isaiah Hardstein, yeah, Hardstein. yeah, I'm familiar yeah, with him. Yeah, he uh made some very uh, good minutes and plays off the bench, especially in his last game that really kept the team afloat for Jalen Brunson to strike in the fourth quarter. So you can't – I can't dismiss the fact that, yeah, it's it's a good chance. I think the fact that you got – if Julius Randle could, plays better on both ends of the floor, that with Jalen Brunson, that could get you to the Eastern Conference Finals with the, with the way things are looking right now. but. It depends on which beast you're going to go up against because Miami beast for this year is going to be a little different than it is when you play against the Milwaukee Bucks beast. And just from watching these games now, Milwaukee don't look like they're going to fold now that Giannis is back. They're about to run. They're about to take over. So with them playing against the Bucks, it's going to be a matchup nightmare. It's going to be a matchup nightmare for them because Brooke Lopez can hold down the paint, and he has been a defensive player of the candidate of the year, you can argue, this for this season. He'll, he'll he can, Yeah, he could fare off against, you know, Mitchell Robinson. Drew Holiday, gonna show, he, can, he can guard Jalen Brunson. They're going to be a good back and forth, but Drew Holiday is a very good defensive point guard and presence. You know, Chris Middleton, if you can get him back to somewhat of a regularity, putting him against those wing players, it's going to be difficult for New York to take advantage of. And you got Giannis guarding Julius Randle. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's all you got. I don't know what else you can do if you're the Knicks, you know? So um, I think at the end of the day, it depends on the opponent. If you get Miami, yeah, you got a real good chance. If you get Milwaukee, bro, you might as well just prepare for next year. Just try to try to do better again next year. Because you already did it. You already exceeded expectations this year. So you might as well just take that and move on for next year but it depends on how fast that sun is rising bro because it can rise real quick but it can also rise real slow depending on which part of the world you want and uh right now it's it's kind of hard to determine that for me i'll say this to be brief on it if they play in miami they got a great chance yes if they are playing a healthy Milwaukee Bucks team I don't think they have much of a chance and when I say healthy I want to clarify what I mean by that and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo being out there on the floor able to go and operate at full speed whether he's 75 percent or better it all comes down to matchups I think New York got a great matchup with Cleveland, a team that they fared very well against this season and had their number, a team that they've outworked on the boards, a team that they've managed to hold their own against, a team that lacks shooting and significant depth at the wing. Bucks don't lack that. Mm-mm. Bucks don't like that. On top of that, the Bucks got guards that's going to make Jalen Brunson work. You bring up Drew Holiday, hell, even if Drew Holiday need a blow, Boone Hose could call Javon Carter in. So could. You know, 
Maywood's finest, you know, Proviso East grad, be like, hey, yeah, handle yeah. that for me. Not too many teams have two piranhas in the backcourt that can just lock up like that. Milwaukee does. So Jalen, while I expect him to have a great series, should the Knicks take care of business and advance to the conference semifinal round for the first time since 10 years ago in 2013, he's going to have to work for his. He's going to have to work for his. I, I expect him to do well, but he's going to have to work for his. And I don't see that being too long of a series, especially in the wake of what Milwaukee's doing right now, because they look like they want to end this in six mm-hmm. and get straight to it. I don't think they'll be playing no games around two should they take care of business as expected against Miami. And a lot of people who I know personally were saying after game three, when the Bucks lost to the Heat to go down two games to one, they would say, oh, I'm not worried about Milwaukee. Me personally, I'm like, I'm not either, but I got to see Giannis. And like you, after seeing Giannis tonight as we're recording, yeah, I, I think, I don't think New York wants them problems. I really don't. I, I don't think they want them, but it would be nice to see. But either way, I think, like you said, they've super exceeded expectations. Most people didn't even have this team going to the playoffs, and here they are only one win away from knocking off the Cavaliers in a 4-5 matchup. Completely agree, man, especially since they are the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. No one expected them to be top five. But right now, it don't look like seed matter in the playoffs at all because you look at the 6-3 matchup in the West between the Warriors and the Kings. You look at the 2-7 matchup in the West between the Lakers and the Grizzlies, which Mm -hmm. would be set to tip off on the evening in which we're recording this shortly. Man, like, seed don't matter this year. Seed don't mean nothing this year. And and injuries are playing a part of that as well. Everything mm-hmm. has been so close. But yeah, I, I don't I don't see it. But like I said earlier, I do think this is a team that needs some love and appreciation. I know it's hard for Bulls fans to admit, but I hope a lot of Bulls fans are watching the New York Knicks because when you see a guy like Mitchell Robinson, an athletic big who's doing what he's doing on both ends of the floor, it should make you wonder why. Acme has not seen has not sought to acquire one like that, especially mm-hmm. where they had the chance to in the draft last year with guys like Walker Kessler still being on the board when Dale Terry was picked. But that's another topic for another day. <laughs> Most definitely, because that's a I'll go with a whole tangent on yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know, man. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know you could. But I want to get into some news that broke at the top of this week. I am a Udoka former Boston Celtics head coach who took Beantown on a trip to the NBA Finals a season ago, had them within two wins of reaching Banner 18 at TD Garden. He's agreed to a deal to become the new head coach of the Houston Rockets. And a surprise move, might I add. I I didn't see that one. I thought maybe Toronto would be the job that he would take with the Raptors, but he decided to go with the Houston Rockets. What are your thoughts on that, Josh? The Rockets are smart. They're smart. All they're doing is just saying, James Harden, you can come home if you want. 
He's right here waiting for you. The door's always open. Oh, get, by the way, when you get here, we'll make sure there's a party bus with stripper poles in it and strippers there so you can party on your way to the stadium. That That's all that they're saying. Because when you think about it, I agree with you. This was a shocker to me. Rockets are on a rebuild. They have a lot of young talent that still needs to develop. And there's other options out there where there's more stable situations. You talk about roster, uh, you know, completion. And you chose the Rockets. You only choose that type of team when you know you can have a good chance of getting someone that you trust that could actually want to be there for the long term. And the rumors with James Harden, Lincoln to Houston, coming back home, being being real or legit per se. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's to the point where no matter what Philadelphia does, he ain't coming back or ain't going to Houston. But I, what I do believe is Ime Udoka has a great relationship with James Harden. Uh, people forget that he was the assistant coach on the Nets when James Harden got traded to Brooklyn. So they have a pretty good rapport. And James Harden never mentioned that him being the reason why they left or why he wanted to leave. So with the fact that Ime Udoka is, is, has the respect of a James Harden, the James Harden going back to Houston rumors, it's no different from what the New York Jets did in preparing to bring in Aaron Rodgers, which they did solidify today, thank God, because now the Bears have a chance in the NFC North. But that's all they're doing. The Jets just got all the right people to say, you know what, Aaron, when you're ready, be right here for you. Just come on home. Just come, just come on over. Aaron messed around and said, hmm, all right, let's go. That's all Houston's doing with Emmanuel Udoka. Even though I don't question his coaching, he's a great coach, phenomenal coach, a great player coach, and I think he's going to be actually really great for the development of Jalen Green. Um, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., those guys, I think he's going to be great for them. And I'm glad that he got a second chance coming from the situation that took place in Boston. Um, I'm really glad that he was able to not be blackballed in that sense, and he was able to get another job. But there's some strategicness to this. And you know it has to be with James Harden. And I'm not saying James Harden is completely happy. But he's watching now. He's watching. He, he's, he's over there in Philadelphia saying, oh, you didn't hire one of my boys. He the head coach over there? Hmm, okay. All right, cool. Put that in my back pocket for when it's all, when it's time to be when it's time to have them at the free agent table. That, that's all that's all Houston did. That's all Houston did, man. You talk about James Harden. I'ma just say this. Houston plotting. Mm-hmm. They plotting big time. Do you know how much money they got in guaranteed salary going into next season? I know the book. I got I got it up on my screen. They only got $60.3 million on the books. They got money to spend. Somebody coming. I know James Harden been the hot name. I get why. He still got a residency out in Houston. Still got his restaurant out in Houston. 
still is tight with some of the guys on the team that came after him, such as Kevin Porter Jr., a guy who many, prior to him being selected by the Cavaliers in the draft, compared to James because both of them are left-handed. He, he tight with the young guys on that roster. And like you say, he also has a relationship with Ime Udoka. But you know it ain't nobody thinking about a guy that you just bought up not too long ago on the episode that we did who plays in Boston and might not be happy with his current situation. Yes, sir. Brown. Yes, sir. That's a guy that people need to be watching. I remember I had a conversation with my man, Anthony Duckett, who covers the Rockets for Dream Shake on Fan Side. A couple of years ago, me and him were conversating over the opinion of someone who was saying that the Rockets should look into Rudy Gobert when he was a hot topic on a rumor mill as to whether or not he would be traded or if he was traded, where would he go? And people were trying to say Houston would make sense for him. I'm like, no, the starter monitor for Houston is Jalen Brown. They know what they're doing. They making this move not with just the intention of teaching those young players how to win and playing together. They making this move to make another move. Mm -hmm. To get a star, a star that's established to pair with those young stars such as Green, Porter, Jabari Smith Jr. And I can't forget Alper and Sangoon mm-hmm. who torched the Bulls a day after Christmas this season, you know, in route to career high marks in the points and rebound department. Man, they, Houston, Houston up to something. Mm-hmm. And if they get the top pick in the draft, if they get the top pick in the draft, everything changes. Because if they want to, they could use that as trade bait to get that star. They could if they don't want Victor Wimbenyama. That is true. Or they could use it to get Scoot Henderson. Or, like I said, you could trade it and then try and go on the market. Like, this is a free agent market that's that has what? Veteran point guards. Veteran point guards who are all-stars, one of whom has won a championship. I'm not saying that it's official, but I wouldn't be shocked if you saw rumors that link Kyrie Irving to the Houston Rockets. I would not be shocked. But James Harden, yeah, I think that's definitely the big play. But they're going to pair him with somebody. Mm-hmm. And if they were to get Wimbenyama and pair him with James Harden, Ooh. and then you get Jalen Brown, oh, it really gets serious. Because... Either way, Houston in a good position. I'm just going to say that. And Houston not going to be one of the worst teams in the league next year. I can guarantee you that. Because someone's coming. It's just a matter of who and from where. Somebody's coming, though. Yeah, that's that's going to be net. I can just think about a pick and roll between James Harden and Victor Wimbayana. Oh, God. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. Oh. I'm trying to tell you. And, and, and James has shown in his time in Philadelphia that he enjoys playing with bigs, not only in a pick-and-roll game, which we've always known he's enjoyed that day, 
dating back to his time in Houston with guys like Clint Capella, Dwight Howard, but bigs that can shoot. And Victor Wimbayama can shoot. Mm-hmm. Jabari Smith Jr. can shoot. Alperen Sangoon can shoot. And roll to the rim. Like, it's scary what you can do. It is scary. Like, if you got James with Jalen Green at the two, Jabari Smith Jr. at the three, Victor Wimbenyama at the four, Sangoon at the five, and then KPJ06, man. Mm. I see it. I see, mm. I see what's being done. I see it. I, I've been envisioning this, honest to God, since Christmas. But with Udoka there, yeah, they they going big game hunt. Yeah, that's that's wild, bro. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, some some going on over there, man. We, we, yes, some, we it's something in the water in Houston. Hopefully, Udoka, you know, we just got to keep him free from the club. He gonna, <laughs> he gonna be all right. <laughs> Hey, I don't know if you're gonna freak. I don't know if you're gonna be able to keep him free from the club. James Harden gonna tell him to come with me, man. Hey, that might be true. <laughs> he picked a hell of a city. I'll say that, but leave it at that. <laughs> hey, you you already know it. I'm pretty sure you visited Houston. Yes, I have. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, I have. Please, please. One of my favorite cities. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Shout out yeah. to my Houston fam. Shout out to my Houston fam. Sure. H-Town, second home away from home, baby. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> A lot of people from Chicago have migrated there for that Very reason. <laughs> yep. Very true. But I want to carry it on back to the playoffs. Got a battle in the Western Conference between the Kings and Warriors. They even in the Battle of Northern California through four games. This is the last topic of conversation on this week's installment of Open Run. I got to ask you, Josh, who do you believe has the advantage going into what has now become a best of three series in the I-80 matchup? They saying Fox is doubtful, but if I was a betting man, I'm going to put all the money on the fact that he probably going to play. He ain't played no games as big as these. Yeah, I expect him to play. Um, however, I'm going with the champions and the Warriors for this. And the reason why I'm going with them, because when you start getting to games five, six, and seven, you're looking at exposure. You're looking at experience. You're looking at who has the will and the grit more to get it done. And having that combined with the experience, for the most part, overpowers the new boy, the new guys, the newcomers. The Kings aren't going to be easy to throw away, especially when you got the talent that they have, but also the coaching of Mike Brown, who used to coach as the assistant for the Warriors in those championship runs. He knows what to expect. So he is a, he's one of the most prime people that can help equip this team for what they're about to experience in these last few games. However, Steph is Steph. Clay is Clay. Draymond is Draymond. And for God's sake, you can get a good Jordan Poole, a consistent Jordan Poole. You might be in for a long night. And that's something that the Warriors have been tested for and they understand and have proven they can get it done when it matters on the line. So, because of that, I think they have the best chance to, to close out this series. I think it will be done in six games. 
but I would not be surprised if it goes to seven because the Kings are just that darn good. But this is where the rubber really hits the road and, and you really get to see the difference between a young new coming team and an experienced team. And I think the Warriors experience is going to take them over the Kings in these next few games. I think the majority of people agree with you. If it was any other young team, I probably would agree with you. And as, as much as I want to, I'm going to get a slight advantage to the Kings, and I'll tell you why. If there's one thing I know about Mike Brown, just like Tyron Lue, he's good at making in-series and in-game adjustments. I think as this series shifts back to Sacramento, him and his coaching staff will do that. I think having a couple of days in between games will help them. And I took a lot of positives away from game four on Sacramento's part, albeit that they lost. And there's no such thing as a moral victory, especially in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I like the way that they were able to respond after getting punched in the mouth the way they did in game three. I like the way that De'Aaron Fox came out. I like the fact that Keegan Murray, who had been relatively quiet through the first three games, had a coming out party, shooting the three ball with confidence, defending at a high level. Looked like the guy that I thought he was going to be when I picked him to win rookie of the year in the preseason. Mm -hmm. But he's showing signs of growth. And I think that's a testament to what Mike Brown, Doug Christie, and that coaching staff in Sacramento have been working with him on. And that's, you know, not getting too high, not getting too low, and to continue shooting in spite of your struggles because they need him for that. Malik Monk had a good game. He was real patient, you Mm -hmm. know, in the pick and roll with his reads and setting up guys. Not just scoring, even though he scored 15. Davion Mitchell has been incredible defensively against Stephen Curry. And I expected him to be, but he's shown an ability to defend at a high level without fouling for a young player. And you don't see that every day. So I I, want to give him a lot of love in that department. But with Jordan Poole, yeah, like he's the biggest X factor. And the thing that's been so fascinating about this series to me thus far is how the role players on the home team have fared much better than the role players on the away team. Yep. Games three and four were in Golden State. You saw Jordan Poole have success. Malik Monk, not so much. He had nine points, I think. It went like, like one for four from the floor in game three. You know, like... I don't think that's happening in Sacramento. Right. Kevin Herter was really non-existent. Yeah. You know, these last couple games. That's got to change. This series to me is a seven-game series. Mm -hmm. But Golden State just got to show me, as much as they are the battle-tested team, they got to show me that they can win on the road, something that they have not done this season. I know that they can win a game on the road, but they just have not done it this season. I got to see it just because they the defended champs. I just I can't give them the benefit of the doubt, unfortunately, in this scenario, just because I feel like with the coaching staff Sacramento has and those players responding well to what transpired in game three, they could go in with a little bit of confidence. And if you think about it, Steph Curry was a Chris Webber moment away. Boy. Giving these boys a 3-1 lead. Boy. They really escaped out of the chase center by the hairs of their chinny-chin-chin chin, uh, on Sunday. 
You ain't lying, man. You ain't lying. That that was that was intriguing to watch, especially <laughs> for a team that's experienced. Yes, for a team that's experienced, and for a player that has four championships in his name and a Finals MVP to do that, I I was shocked. I, I was shocked because for a while Sacramento they made some youthful mistakes, but I wasn't expecting to see that, and it really it literally almost cost them the game. Yeah, it definitely did. And if you want to be real honest, it's a testament to what their whole season was like. Mm-hmm. It's a testament to what their whole season was like. But because of the fact that they've been here so much, so many different times, and have shown that they can get it done, it's hard for me to bet against that. And I think they have a good chance of getting it done now they don't i won't be surprised either so that's been their whole season it's very been very mediocre up and down inconsistent and in the areas where they get killed the most when they lose these games is the is the areas they've been getting killed all season long so it doesn't surprise me it wouldn't surprise me and credit to the kings rightfully so they deserve it this is this is a heck of a year for them and they've been playing like being the number two seed in the Western Conference, two or three seed in the Western Conference wasn't a fluke. It's the real deal. So most definitely give them credit for that. But I I expect the Warriors to come out and be the Warriors when they need to be them the most. And that's what champions do. So that's just me and that's my expectation of what's going to take place. But I would not be surprised if the Kings win. And if they do, man, major props and deserving to them for sure. I got you. Well, on that note, that concludes this week's edition of Open Run. want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen in to yet another playoff edition episode. Make sure to check out all our shows on War Media YouTube channel and check us out also on all the social media platforms at War Media across Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whole nine. For myself, Gabriel Wilkins, my man Josh Hicks, so long, everybody.